You know, one of my favorite parts of the, uh, of the revival we had is, and you know we forget about this often, was when Pastor Randall was talking to us about us being a multi-generational church. Amen? And, uh, and I'm glad, you know, I, you know we, we, we do have a lot of great workers and everything here. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for our bishop and appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, and also thankful for Pastor C.T. and, and Fran and, and everything that they did. And, and to see the, the results and everything that are going now, birthed from a vision years ago. And, and uh, we just appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight and appreciate the authority of the house uh, entrusting us tonight. But uh, we're actually just going to do a little bit of teaching tonight. And uh, want to read from the book of Ezekiel, one verse, chapter 48 and verse 35. Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. Now, I'm not sure how my style is going to be. Teaching is explaining, preaching is proclaiming. And so I've got some things I just want to teach for a couple minutes tonight. Some things that I saw, and uh, I appreciate the worship team, man. Don't they do an awesome job? They do. And uh, thankful for them. And uh, I thought about as they were singing that song, um, you know, better is one day in his courts, better is one day in his house, better is one day in his presence than anywhere else. You know, we've messed up somewhere in the church and, and we think that the courts are inside the sanctuary and the, 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 the place of praise is inside the four walls of a church, right? And, and so that's what we're conditioned to. And, and, and you hear people say all the time, that, and, and this is scriptural, and, and understand, let me finish the entire sentence before uh, so we get an understanding. Uh, the Bible says, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. And, and I appreciate that, and I, I appreciate our time together to uh, come together corporately and to worship and praise God and, and be fed the word. But, but how many people know that, that God is always there? Amen. So tonight I'm going to talk to us on the subject Jehovah Shammah, uh, which means the Lord who is there. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse 35, it says, The distance around will be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city uh, from that time on will be the Lord is there. The Lord is there actually is translated from Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah means the Lord who is there. So it would read, from this time on, the city will no longer be called Jerusalem, but shall be called Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. Now, I want to lay a little bit of background. Like I said, I'm teaching a little bit. So, uh, you know, we, we want to lay a little bit of background to get to where we're going. So after Solomon's reign, if you'll read there uh, in the book of the Kings and the book of the Chronicles, you're going to find that uh, Israel had a little family feud. They had some bickering, they had some fights, they had some disagreements, and they split into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, was attacked by the Assyrians. Okay? And, and so after they're attacked by the Assyrians, you no longer hear of the northern uh, country of Israel again. You know, never hear about any of the kings or, or anything like that. After the Assyrians come into the northern country and they take over, um, you no longer hear about that kingdom anymore. Um, later, you'll find that uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, was attacked by the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians came in and attacked the Assyrians who had attacked Israel. Uh, the kingdom, the northern kingdom. And so once the Babylonians came in and attacked the Assyrians, they just went on down into the southern borders and they attacked uh, Judah. Um, 
we know that uh, Babylon, during this time, we know that uh, different people were taken captive from Babylon. You know Daniel, uh, the Daniel, and you've read the Daniel, the lion's den, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ezekiel was captured. Zerubbabel was captured and taken away. So there's a lot of people uh, that, were, that were captured by um, excuse me, by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. But it's interesting if you read in the book of Ezekiel chapter 10, uh, you'll remember, uh, if you've read it, you'll remember that Ezekiel begins to see a vision of the glory of God, the, the Shekinah glory, the, the presence of God that was in that day. He begins to see it leave the temple, right? He begins to see it at one point leave and hover over top of the Ark, or the, uh, ark of the Covenant. He sees it go above the, the uh, te- te- temple there, and he sees it just begin to ascend on out off of this earth. Well... When the Babylonians came in and took over Judah, Judah was still allowed to run and allow their kings to govern in Judah. So Judah's kings were still allowed to govern Judah as long as they paid uh, tax to the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, right? And uh, we won't go there, but that could preach itself. How many people, the devil don't mind you being free and worshiping as long as you're paying him a tax? <laughs> Amen. But there was a king who decided to rebel and quit paying the taxes. When this happened, Nebuchadnezzar decided that he got mad and he decided that they're not going to respect my authority. And so he goes in and he destroys the temple. He wipes everything out. He destroys the city, destroys the temple. And that is where that in chapter 10 is fulfilled, where he sees the glory of God leave. Now, I want to tell you that because understand that in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, before the fall, there was a relationship between God and man that had no hindrances, no separations, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing incomplete, nothing lacking. That God and man were so unified that we were one in spirit. Amen. You didn't have to work yourself up to get into his presence. You lived in the presence of God continually. And, and when it talks about God coming down and walking in the cool of the day, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the day or the cool or anything like that. It is telling us that there was a time where man could enter in undefiled into the presence of God because that's what we were created to live in. How many people know that when God said, let us make man in our image, that he created us to be equal on this earth in dominion with God? Not that we are God, but that we had dominion here on this earth. And we were his agents before the fall to operate on this earth. That's why when God brings animals to Adam, he says, whatever you call it is what it'll be, right? We know that God created the world by just speaking what he saw and it came to be at the spoken word of God. And so God gave that authority to Adam and it's demonstrated by the fact he brings things to Adam and he says, you have dominion because remember, there's no sin here at this time. He says, you have dominion to be a God or to be my representation here on this earth. I want you to govern this earth the way I govern heaven. Amen. The earth was made for man. That's It was made for man. The Bible says heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And so they brought things to Adam and Adam saw a zebra and he said, that's a zebra. And it became a zebra. Amen. He didn't name that thing according to its characteristic. He named the thing and it became whatever he said, just like God did. Understand this is before the fall. 
And so the fall comes, and we all know this, but God begins to try to get his presence back with the people, right? And so they build a tabernacle, and then they build a, a temple, and, and, you know, behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, and once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest only could walk in, but the presence of God would come down and accept the sacrifice, and for a day God dwelled again with the people, right? You read where he walked with them through a cloud by day and a fire by night. But the problem was is that there was a connection, uh, there was a a disconnection between where mankind and the presence of God could be reunited again, right? And so it was better than what it was because at least we have a portion of God, but it's not as good as it was, right? We know he's behind the veil, and I'm thankful that he's behind the veil is what they would think, but it's not the same as it was. And matter of fact, I'm not a high priest, so I just have to assume that they're right when they say he's behind there, okay? The reason this is so important is because when this temple was destroyed, understand that the people of Judah lost all hope Because their God was symbolized to them as the only place where he was is in the temple. I mean, do you see this? That's why it's so important. That's why it's so heartbreaking. That's why later on you'll see that uh, Zerubbabel goes back to build the, rebuild the temple and Ezra and Nehemiah go on a second and third journey. And when Nehemiah goes there, he sees the place and he's heartbroken because not just because the city lies in ruin, but because with a place where God chose that he would set his name there and his presence there no longer existed. And so <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple and he goes back here and, and Je- Ezekiel ends up having this verse that we read, a vision of this. Judah remains in bondage for 40 years until Zerubbabel goes back and he's given permission to go back as Zerubbabel goes and he rebuilds a temple 56 years later, right? 56 years after God speaks this word to him. Jerusalem, what what I'm trying to show you is that Jerusalem here is the place where God was, according to what God said, okay? Jerusalem was still down into the southern hemisphere, the southern kingdom of Judah, okay? And so God's presence, His manifest presence, the only presence of God that was available on earth was in Jerusalem. But God says to him, He says, you saw the glory leave, right? Right? He says, Ezekiel, I showed, the, I showed you my glory would leave. We saw the fulfillment of that historically because the temple was destroyed, right? If it's destroyed, there's no more sacrifices. There's no more veil. There's no more holies of holies. When you read about it, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and, and we've never found it again. It's never been recovered, right? The Ark of the Covenant where God's glory would fall. And then here he says, Ezekiel, I want you to be of good courage and good cheer because I'm going to rebuild a city and rebuild a temple. That's what this verse is we read. He's describing to him what this place is going to be. He said, I don't want you to be upset, Ezekiel, because this is only for a time and a season. I'm going to rebuild a city and rebuild a temple. And this time you won't call the place Jerusalem, but you will call this place Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. Amen. So that's, that is my foundation of where I'm wanting to go tonight. But, but I want you to first of all notice this is that you cannot separate Israel from Judah and expect to see the glory. Amen. Because Israel, listen to what it means. Israel means a people chosen by God. Judah means praise. And the word praise here means to set a price on something. 
The word praise means to set a price on something. And so you cannot separate Israel, God's people, from their praise. And what has happened is, is we don't see the God who is there in our lives. And so we have not set a price on his worthiness. You, under, you see what I'm saying? We have not set the price on, on what he's done. See, that's why the doctor's report will come and, and we will go ahead and bow down to the symptom and, and bow down to these things and begin to allow that to operate in our lives because we have not set the price that by his stripes we are healed. Amen. We're not praising him and setting the price by saying by his stripes we're here. Man, when you begin to lose your job and your finances are messed up and you're a giver and you're a tither and you're doing all the things that the Bible tells us to do. Listen, you can sit back and you can look at your circumstance and you can look at what's going on. But if you praise him, you'll set a price and say he became poor on the cross that I might become rich. And he also said that if I tithe and give into his storehouse, that the price of my return will be that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour me out the blessing that I can't even build a storehouse big enough to receive. And so praise is more than just a raised hand and it's more than just coming in here to a song and a skip and a buck and all these things. And I'm not saying that that's not part of praise, but praise, the true praise in the life of a believer is to set a price in our life to say it's valuable or it's not. Amen. Because healing to me is valuable. I have set a price on that in my life that by his stripes I am healed. The price that he paid was he bore my sickness and bore my disease on his body and that with his stripes I am healed. And that is the price that I set on that. So I praise him through my storm because I know what it costs and I know the price that's been set and I know the price has been paid. Amen. To praise God means more than just clapping and, and, and singing and dancing. The Bible says here, listen to this. It says in, in Psalms chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh my goodness, how many times have we cried out a woe is me and said that? I understand this is talking about Jesus and, and the travail that he would go through on the cross. But so many times I've said, oh God, where are you? I thought you were going to be in this situation because I'll be real with you. I don't always feel a tangible feeling of the Holy Spirit in the situations I go on, right? Sometimes, I, most of the time, I've got to walk by faith and understand what the Word said. And I'm just going to walk this thing out by faith because I can't see Him. I can't feel Him. And I can't trust in my emotions because my emotions are about as up and down as my weight. Right? One day I might weigh 225. The next month I might weigh 250 and it fluctuates up and down. But faith stays consistent because God doesn't change and neither does his word. Although my emotions may change because when you're going through a sickness, man, that pain is a fact. But the truth says that by his stripes, I am healed, right? That, that bank account, when you look at it and the numbers are low, that is a fact. Right? But truth says that he became poor for me so that I might become rich. And he begins to give me the principles and the promises to prosper me, not in the life to come only, but in this life to rule and to reign. And so we walk by faith, regardless of what the situation says to us. And so he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and, and am not silent. But listen to this. But thou art holy. It means set apart. Oh thou, listen, that inhabits the praises of his people. Judah and Israel were separated. They used to be one, one kingdom. 
And they had a squall and someone decided we can be God's people minus the praise. That's exactly what happened. Someone decided when these two started fighting, decided the praisers can go down there and be their old silly self, but we're men of dignity and men of the word and we'll be people of God this way. And so they've separated themselves from praise. And so what we've done is we don't understand why God doesn't show up in our situations. And it's because we have separated ourselves just like them. And we stand as the people of God always because if I'm in Christ, that my position does not change. But when I don't come in with Judah, when I don't come in with praise, the Bible says this, and it says he inhabits the Judah of Israel. Do you see that? He inhabits the Judah of Israel. You can never see God show up in your situation if you're just a praiser, but not a child of the king. Amen. You can't ever see God show up in your situation if you're a child of the king, but you're not a praiser. Why? Because that's the way he comes in. Not because I like it or don't like it. Because he inhabits, he indwells. The Bible literally means there he comes down and sits and makes residence on the praises of his people. And so we've got to understand that God always shows up when Israel and Judah come together and unify. God always shows up when that happens. Judah is our only weapon for Israel. Right? Judah is the only weapon that we have as the body of Christ. Listen, things are going up and down all the time. But true praise, and I'm not talking about a lifted hand and 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 a hand clap, right? I'm not saying those aren't expressions of our worship and those aren't expressions of our praise, but they are just an expression. Understand, praise is in my heart declaring back to him what your word said to me I'm going to stand on. And no matter what my situation is, that is the final authority in my life. And that's what I stand upon. Praise is taking my life and saying, listen, I'm going to put a price tag on the redemptive work that he did for me. And that's what covered my sin, right? Because what happens is this, is some days I don't feel like I'm saved even. See, I may be the only one, but there's some days I don't feel like I'm saved. I don't wake up every day with the birds singing and the butterflies flowing, not flying all around my head. There's some days when I've got a bad thought or I've had a bad day or something going on. But I place a price on the redemption and redemptive work that he did for me. And I say that he became sin for me, even though he knew no sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And all I had to do was believe on him and confess him with my mouth. And I became born again. Amen. I didn't do the work. But I set a price on that. I set a price on that. And so we've got to understand you will never see breakthrough without praise because what praise is, is praise is actually faith in action. Amen. Praise is faith in action. That's why Bishop gets up here and he says, we're going to worship God today with our giving. (laughs) He ain't saying that to get your money. You can't buy him anyhow. Amen. Listen, (laughs) you can't buy him. But what I'm saying to you is this, is he's telling us and giving us an opportunity as the bishop of this house, according under the authority of God and the principles of giving and sowing and reaping, he's giving us an opportunity to be blessed. Amen. Because what he's saying is this, you cannot, you cannot praise God without activating faith. And what true praise is, is praise is your faith in action. And so I don't look at my bank account. Listen, guys, I'm not telling you to be stupid. I'm telling you to obey kingdom principles, right? I'm not telling you to be silly and do stupid things. I'm telling you to obey kingdom principles and it's your only way out. Amen. How many people know that so many people today, if you were $200,000 in debt, then I paid you $300,000, you'd be in worse debt six months from now than you are here because you can't get yourself lined up with the principles of the word of God. 
Amen. That's what happens in our lives when we step away from the principles of God. The, the anointing, the blessing, the, the, the connection stops flowing in our lives. And why is that faith? Because, man, I don't know. I, I, you know, it, right now I am no millionaire, right? <laughs> I know, man, sometimes, and we struggle in that area sometimes, right? But faith in action says, I tithe because that connects me to God. And this world isn't my source. My bank account's not my source. The church isn't my source. Jesus is my source, not my job or my paycheck or anybody else. He's my source. And I'm going to activate my faith and do what he said and allow him to provide for me and be the standard bearer in my life. Why? Because he has placed a price on that. Are you seeing it? Praise sets a price. He has set a price on that. The glory returned the day that the veil was torn. When, when, when Zerubbabel goes and he sets up this, this temple, everything was restored back to it except the Ark of the Covenant, right? Well, how many people know, I don't, I, you know, you'll never really see the glory coming back down because the glory lands in between the two cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. Are you with me? But they continued to do the sacrifices, okay? They continued to do the sacrifices. And when this temple was rebuilt, the people began to have peace and hope and joy in their lives again for one reason. They thought since the temple is there and the things are going on, everything must be okay. God must have returned back to us, right? And so here they continue to go through these ritualistic worships and and ritualistic things. But there was a day when the veil that separated God from mankind was ripped from top to bottom. Now, here's the interesting thing, man. If you would look at this, the only day that the Shekinah glory came down was on the Day of Atonement, right? The day they would take the lamb and they would place their hand on a scapegoat and confess the sins over the scapegoat and drive them out into the wilderness, never to return again, right? Because my sins aren't covered by the blood. My sins are removed from me and placed on Christ, right? And I am covered by the blood. And so we would take that scapegoat and we would cast him out into the wilderness, never to come back again. And they would take the lamb that was pure and spotless and, and no guilt tore them in any way and they would slit his throat and they would bleed him out and they would take the blood and they would burn his flesh on the altar, the brazen altar, and then they would take the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat which was uh, behind the veil and when that happened, God would come down and consume the uh, sacrifice and he would be attracted to the blood and his Shekinah glory would come down and when his Shekinah glory came down, he would dwell behind the veil, right? But there was a day that the veil was torn. There was a day that the veil was torn. Now, the interesting thing about this is the day Jesus died was the day he died on Passover. Okay? So you got, oh my goodness, man, I wish I could paint a picture of this. Listen, you got to understand that as, as this thing is happening to Jesus on the cross, there is also another ceremony happening at the same time inside of the temple. Are you hearing this? The same time that our true lamb is being sacrificed for the sin of the world, the old law is going through the ritualistic practices in the temple, right? How many people know that they would go and as they would go and and they would sprinkle the blood, do you know what the priests used to cry? They used to cry, it is finished. 
That's what they used to cry. As they would take the blood, I'm talking Old Testament. They would take the blood, they would sprinkle it on the altar. God's presence and glory would come down and dwell among men. And as that happened, they would say, it is finished. God has received this sacrifice and received that blood. How many people know that it paints a picture to the exact same thing that's happening, but only the real sacrifice that would save our, His people from their sins, right? And so what's happening is when Christ cried, it is finished, it's more than just a pretty catchy slogan that we put on the on a shirt somewhere. He's saying the old way of doing things, the old way of getting into my presence, the old way that used to be a type and a shadow of what the new thing will be, that old system is over. On that day, the old covenant ceased and passed away. Amen. It was fulfilled. I don't live under the law. I live under grace. I am not bound by the law. I live by His grace. I'm, I'm not, I am not bound by the law. He wrote the new law on my heart and the new law on my mind. And He is my God and I am His people. I, I don't have that old covenant that used to be. As great and wonderful as it was, I don't live by that old covenant. Because the Bible says that Jesus purchased for us. Remember, He paid with a price. He purchased for you and I a covenant built on, it's a better covenant built on better promises with better results and better things. Why in the world would I want to go back to a law and when I've got the better? (laughs) Amen. I've got the better thing happening for me now. And if in the Old Testament he would heal, and in the Old Testament he would save, and in the Old Testament he would come down and dwell with people, and in the Old Testament show up as a as a person there, or a, or a, a deity in a cloud by day and a fire by night, if he would do that in the Old Covenant. When you read the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that, that women received their children raised back to life. That eyes were opened. That's what, the, that's what the book of Hebrews tells us. And it says, and that was with the worst covenant. But we, they waited in expectation, waiting for the new covenant, which you and I are part of. My question to you is if God moved for him in the old covenant like that, how much more will he move for us in the new covenant? Amen. And so the day the veil was torn, the day the veil was torn, God opened up and allowed a new temple to be built. Amen. He opened up and allowed a new temple to be built. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, The Bible says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Amen. Do you see how all this is tied together? We were bought with a price. The price he purchased is to allow us to be a temple and a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. How lovely is your dwelling place, O God Almighty. It's not a building. <laughs> how lovely is your dwelling place. It's not, a, it's not a church of God denomination. How beauty is, how wonderful is this dwelling place. It's not just us four and no more. How wonderful and how beautiful is your dwelling place. I am the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Jehovah Shammah left the building and came into a man. Amen. Yes, he did. You and I have on the inside of us Jehovah Shammah in his most purest form. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that Jesus was filled with the fullness of the Godhead. Bodily, so am I. Get mad if you want to, but so am I. Because what Jesus did is he purchased for the church the same thing he walked in. Yes, he did. 
He purchased for the church the same thing he walked in. I'm not saying that I'm God. I'm not saying that I am deity. I am saying that I am, I am Christ. I am connected with Christ. I have the anointing of Christ. The Christ, uh, the word Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. That the, the Christ uh, unifies us together. We are the body of Christ. Not the body of deity, not the body of God. We are the body of the anointing. We are the body of the power. The same spirit, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me bodily. Amen. There's no denying it. No denying it whatsoever. Jehovah Shammah lives on the inside of me. It makes me ask interesting questions to myself. Like, you know, the days I go home and I say, my goodness, that worship wasn't very good today, was it? I didn't feel the tangible presence of God today like I normally do. Well, that revival is over and it just didn't feel the same. My goodness, and we try to blame a church. You know why? Because we've been programmed to come to a building to find Jehovah Shammah. We say if we go to to the tabernacle of praise, that that's where Jehovah Shammah dwells. This is not where Jehovah Shammah dwells. He dwells in the life of the believer. Do you hear me? This is not his home. This is a building. Burn this place to the ground. We'll meet out in the field Sunday and we'll still experience the presence and power of God because he's not housed in a building anymore. He's housed in a people. Amen. He is housed in a people. So it makes me wonder. It just makes me ask myself questions when I go home and say, man, Bishop just didn't seem as anointed this week. And I just didn't receive as much from him this time as I did last time. Man, I just didn't like that. I just didn't get much out of it, man. I just, you know, and listen, man, the reason that is is because somewhere we didn't come into this place with expectation. Why? Where do we get the expectation from? I'm not waiting to walk into a place and experience him. Jehovah Shammah lives in me and I'm bringing him with me everywhere I go. Amen. Yes, we are. That's why, my, that's why it's not just the pastor that lays hands on the sick and sees them recover. That's why it says to those who believe, you lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. That's why you don't need someone to spit on you and anoint oil on you. And all. I'm not against those things. But what I'm saying is he's not your healer. God is your healer. And you're not trying to get from here and reach some God that's somewhere else. He's on the inside of me. He's on the inside of me. He's on the inside of me. I'm not trying to pray and enter into... My goodness, listen, do you understand? Jesus, as he walked here, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When did he start saying that? After he was baptized by John and filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> do you see that? After he, was, after he went through the, the symbolism of salvation, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, understand that after that, that's when he began to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist preached the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? Jesus, when he receives the fullness of, of the Holy Spirit within him, he says the kingdom of heaven is here. Right? How many people know that on the day of Pentecost, the kingdom of heaven was spread out among the church universally? Yes, it was. And it's a promise for me and my children and my children's children and my children's children's children and as many as are afar off that will accept the Holy Spirit and this anointing. It is for you. It is for them. It's for your children. Jehovah Shammah dwells on the inside of me. The Bible says she will bear a son. I read this Sunday. The Bible says she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, which means Joshua, a savior. He will save his people from their sins. That is, prevent them from failing. God, I love that. 
Jesus will prevent them from failing and missing the true scope of life which is in God or which is God. He says that there will be a Jesus. It goes on to say this. It says, and after they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Understand that he is Emmanuel in our lives. He is Jehovah Shammah in our lives. He is not some distant creation or distant deity out there somewhere. He lives and dwells on the inside of you and I. I didn't say you feel like it, like he does all the time. I'm saying that is where he makes his residence is on the inside of a believer. Amen. That's where he dwells. He's not millions of light years away. He is on the inside of the believer. Right? And so he says this. It says you will call his name Jesus, right? Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. And you'll call his name Emmanuel. Why? Because he is the God who will be with us, right? So how many people, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many people in here are born again? Amen. If you're born again, you have said his name is Jesus, right? He is my Savior. And if you have said his name is Savior in your life, then what that means is there is an ability within you to keep you from failing. I didn't say there's an ability to keep you from messing up sometimes in the flesh. I'm saying he will keep you from failing. Amen. So if we do the right things and the principal things and we live as though he's Emmanuel and Jehovah Shammah on the inside of us, nothing I can do can fail. Why? Because God is love and love never fails. Amen. God is love and his love never fails. Jesus will prevent me from failing and he's a constant help. He is a present help in the time of trouble. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will be with you until the end of the world. I will always be with you. Jesus lives in us. The Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Godhead bodily lives in us. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of us. I want to read this. Can, can you pull up uh, 2 Samuel 23? I'm almost finished. Can you all come and get us a song, please? I want to leave this example of Jehovah Shammah. Man, I found this, I saw it, and I loved it. <clears throat> the Bible says next to him was Shammah. Now, this is a person, this is one of David's three mighty men. It was one of his bodyguards. His name was Shammah. Remember, it means the Lord is there. Next to him was Shammah, the son of Agee, the Herorite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of peas, Israel's troops fled from them, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and stuck, struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. I want you to see one thing, number one, okay? This Philistine came in during the time of harvest, right? had to it because it says they were all out in the field. And when they saw the Philistines and the enemy coming, they all, the children of Israel, began to run, right? Now, remember where we first started, who began to run? run, Judah or Israel? Israel, they're not praisers, right? This says Israel began to run, right? Are you hearing me? Israel begins to run. They see the enemy coming in. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what. If I, and, and I don't know a whole lot about farming, okay? But one thing I do know is I I tend, when it comes to trying to get out of laborious activity, I become a master, right? (laughs) And I know, daggone it, if I'm going to go and plow the ground and sow the seed and water it and pick the weeds and do all these things that you've got to do and fertilize it and all this, you're not going to come in when it's harvest time to my field and take everything I've worked for. The Philistines, the enemy came in every single year and he began to go and scare off the Israelites, right? That has happened in the church for years. 
That has absolutely happened to the church for years. Every time you almost get a breakthrough, every time that, my, have you ever seen someone coming up and, man, you finally, your lost loved one finally came to church with you and you can see the conviction all over and out of nowhere something crazy happens, the lights start flickering, the, the microphone goes out, there's some kind of chaos and confusion. Amen. Listen, there's always something. Right in the midst of harvest, man, I have seen things in my life so many times, financially, physically, with relationships, no matter what it is. I've seen, had things in my hands before where I could almost grasp them. And I've allowed them to slip right through my hands. And the reality is, is you have too. Amen? That's the reality of this entire thing. Every year when they came, and see, I don't care much about peas. I don't even like them. But if it's my pea field, They mean everything to me. See, you don't have to defend your ministry or the thing God's called you to. You don't have to get me to approve of that. Amen. You don't have to get the church to approve of that. It doesn't matter. Your job is to make him happy and to please him and do what he has called you to do. Amen. Your job isn't to get some kind of following and and group around you to endorse you and promote you and pat you on the back because it's not about us anyhow. Amen. But every year they would come. They would stand in the field. And they would run. And I would imagine just by reading this, what this says to me is that Shammah in years past had always ran too. Because it says they came again. But this time it says, Shammah, which means the God who is there, took his stand right in the middle of his field. Right in the middle of his harvest. It means he may have even been on the outside of it, working that side or whatever, and he sees him coming and he doesn't run. He walks right in the dead middle of that harvest. Stands right in the middle of it. And he defended it. He struck the Philistines down and listen to what it says. It doesn't say that Shama got a great victory that day. It says the Lord got a great victory that day. Now I know in this time, you stand to your feet please. I know in this time, of this no-fail season and everything that we're experiencing, man, this is the time where the enemy will try. Man, we just had a wonderful revival, a wonderful time of, of, of building our faith up. And man, this is the time. I am not kidding you. The day after this revival, I got, man, symptoms of a worse cold I've ever had. My little girl gets it. My wife gets it, right? And I'm sitting there the whole time by his stripes, I'm healed. You're a liar, devil. Devil, you're a liar. You're a liar. And I'm sticking with the word. And the more I confess, man, the worse my symptoms get, right? And so, man, and I'm I'm just saying all these little things. Because how many people know when you're ready to walk through a breakthrough, that's when the devil will come. Because it's easiest in the beginning to go ahead and pluck up the seed before it gets root, right? I've got a tree in my yard now that I wish I would have lived in my house when they planted this sucker. (laughs) Because now it's going to cost me a lot and a lot of work to get this tree removed from my house. But if I could have found it when it was a seedling, I myself could have walked over, grabbed it by its hand, and plucked it up out of the ground because it had not established a root system yet. And so there's things in our lives, man, where the word is sown into us these past weeks and every week, Bishop and Pastor CT and everyone's trying to sow the word into us, man. It's trying to take root in our heart. Why? Because we know the end result of that thing is a no-fail season in every area of our life, right? The end result of that thing is our sons and our daughters being born again. The end result of that thing is the curse of debt being broken off of your finances. The end result of that thing is cancers and sicknesses and diseases falling off of our bodies and God getting glory from. The end result of that thing is people who have been bound by the devil, bound by addiction, bound by things like that, being absolutely set free. That's the end result of this thing. 
But if the enemy can come into the middle of our harvest right now and pluck it up, that's why we've got to understand who we are, right? We've got to understand that when the enemy comes in, it is time for the body of Christ to stand up right in the middle of our harvest. Because can I tell you where you'll find him? You'll find him right in the middle of your harvest. God wants you to have it, amen? It's not a gift. He's not just giving me something I want. God wants us. This is the will of God. God's will is for sons and daughters to be saved. God's will is for debt to be canceled. God's will is for sicknesses and disease to come off of our bodies. God's will is for bondages and addictions to be broken off of lives. God's will is for this place to grow spiritually and numerically. That is the will of God. So where will we find him? We will find Shama right in the middle of the harvest, right? Now listen, where is Shama? That means if I've already seen it, you know, I got to say this, got to say this and I'm going to listen in the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis, there in chapter 11, they're building the tower, right? The tower of Babel, right? And as they're building this tower and they're building this city, the Bible says that, that they all come into agreement, right? And so God comes down and confuses their language because God says, if I keep them in agreement, nothing will be impossible for them, right? So they've got this vision of building this big tower and this big city and, and, and all these things. And God says, let us go down and confuse their language. Are you hearing me? He says, let us go down and confuse their language and, and, and get them spread out everywhere, okay? And so these people are in agreement, right? Number one, it shows us that the power of agreement is powerful, right? Because these people weren't even born again. And God said, nothing will be impossible for them if I keep them together and unified, right? But it's interesting that God doesn't say, I'm going to go down there and fix this. He says, let us go down and confuse this language. Why? Because in the beginning, God said, let us make man in his image. Do you know why man is such a unique creation? Because God came into agreement when he decided to make you. Let us make, make Pastor CT in my image. Let us make JD in our image. Let us make you in our image. They came into agreement. The Godhead came into agreement when he created you and called you and you were born and, and placed in your mother's womb. The, the Godhead came into agreement. Man comes into agreement here building this tower saying we're going to send a, a tower to the heavens. And God says the only way to break the power of their agreement is if we come down and agree because you've got to have a stronger authority in agreement to destroy the authority of agreement that's already there. How many people know that in the body of Christ, there is an authority. I don't care what you're going through. There is an authority that is spoken on behalf of you. And I choose to place a price on the authority of the risen Savior who took my sin upon himself and bore it on the cross and bought my, bought my salvation, bought my healing, bought my prosperity, bought everything in my life to rule and to live and to reign in this life. And he has already agreed. They've come together. It pleased the Father the Bible says in Isaiah 53 to strike Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was a seed. Jesus was a seed. A seed must die before it can live, right? So Jesus becomes a seed. He takes sin upon himself. He dies on the cross. He is planted into the heart of the earth, right? Just like a normal seed. He is resurrected, right? He is resurrected. But why is that? Because he didn't just rise by himself. 
The Bible says when he rose, all the people that were trapped in paradise rose with him, right? And the reason you and I are born again is because God knew the value of a seed. And he knew if I could plant a seed, I'll get a harvest, right? So he planted a seed in Jesus by placing him and allowing him to die and be buried and rise again. And he gathered every single one of you that are here today born again because God knew if I can sow a seed and it can take root and it can grow, I can have a whole family. Amen. Tonight, if you're here, and listen, we just want to praise God. I don't care if you're clapping your hands. I don't care if you're crying. I I don't care what your expression of worship is. But you need to begin, and we need to begin to talk to our God and say, God, I'm placing the demand on the anointing, and I'm placing the price on what you did for me, right? We've got to work that out. We've got to work that out in our lives and say, God, what I'm going through already has a price tag. The harvest, the victory to that thing has already been paid. I know what it costs. It costs your life and I know you paid it. So I receive it by faith into my life, regardless of my situation. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to praise God as they sing a song. If you're here tonight.